Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 13. Genesis, chapter 13, this morning. And um, try to quickly look at this passage today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little bit. We want to look at this story from Genesis 13 as we continue to walk through Abraham's life in this series, Learning to Trust God. Cameron Hogg and Asia Walmack were friends. Uh, they had eaten in each other's homes. They had, you know, been around each other um, quite a bit. And in October of 2022, they were playing a one-on-one game of basketball at this park in, in Dallas, Texas. And even though, um, even though Asia Walmack was a girl and smaller than Cameron Hogg, she beat him in this one-on-one game of basketball. You know how you get jibbed, you know, you know. And so Cameron Hogg reacted. He, he lost to a girl, and he reacted the way any rational man would react. He shot and killed her. Yeah. Just a little bit of an overreaction, wouldn't you say? He shot and killed her. These were friends. The thing that was shocking about it when you talk to the family members and all that sort of stuff is like it's not just an overreaction. It's, it's that they were close, and, and people couldn't imagine him doing this to his friend. But that little story that I just told you illustrates a truth. First of all, conflict is everywhere. We experience conflict in, on, a, on, a, on a global scale in, in, in these forever wars that we fight everywhere, that we experience it in, in, in the conflict that we experience just with our, within our own government, with you know, uh, which side you're on, this red-blue establishment, not establishment, all these things that we talk about, this, these lines that are drawn. It happens in churches, it happens in families, it happens at work. We experience conflict all over the place. That story also illustrates that when we experience conflict, conflict does something weird to us. It affects our thinking. It causes us to think irrational things and to do irrational things when we get in the middle of conflict. Here's what I noticed, too, about conflict. When we're in the middle of conflict, we try to control things. We want to control the person that we're in conflict with. We maybe want them to see our side. We want them to apologize. We want them to do differently. We try to control the the outcome. We want it to work out in our favor when we're in conflict. So we try to manipulate the circumstances around this conflict in order for for us to get something out of it. We try to manipulate the people that surround this, the people that are in the periphery of this, trying to influence people to our side so that they'll tell us that we're right and we're justified in what we're doing. In the middle of conflict, we try to control all of these things Today I want us to look at this story in Scripture, and what I would say to you is I think there are some things that we should try to control in the middle of conflict. It's just not those things. Oftentimes the things that we're trying to control in the middle of a conflict are all the wrong things. This chapter that we're going to read today in Genesis chapter 13, it involves conflict. It focuses on the conflict between Abram and his nephew Lot. 
For those of you that have not been with us, we started several weeks ago back in the end of Genesis 11, Genesis 12, where God called Abram to leave his homeland in Ur and to go to the land of Canaan where God would lead him. He, he obediently did that. We see Abram setting up an altar in Bethel and living there in Canaan. At the first sign of trouble, his faith stumbled. Remember, he went to Egypt, he lost his integrity, and then he, he, he had fallen away from the Lord. So we watched him come back to Bethel in the verses that we're going to read at the first here of Genesis 13. Last week, we watched him return to Bethel and build the altar there. Let's pick it up in chapter 13. We're going to go back and read the verses we read last week just for context and read the entirety of chapter 13 in this message between Abraham and Lot. I want us to call the message today, Conflict Under Control. You and I can go through conflict under control. Let's read the passage today. It says, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herds, herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Now Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord." It seems as if this conflict that erupts is between Lot and Abram. It's really not even between them as much as it is their herdsmen, the men that, that, that are working for them and are tending the flocks that they have. It seems to be that the conflict here at its base is about the resources. The land cannot support, does not have the resources to support all of their flocks and all that they have. And that seems to be the, really the, the, the basis of their contention with each other. In the time that we have left, I want us to take their conflict, look at it for just a moment, and see some things that we should be controlling when we're in the middle of conflict, okay? 
Today, I want to suggest you, to you some ways that we can experience conflict under control. So let's just look at them. Now, I will tell you, my points today are not alliterated, and there's five of them. And I know what time it is, but it's okay. Okay, people? It's going to be good. It's all right. Stay with me as we walk through these five things that we should be controlling when we're, walk, when we're in the middle of conflict. The first is we should be living in communion with the Lord. First thing you can, can, can control is right now, where you are today, you need to be living in communion with the Lord. You need to be making sure that your walk with him is right. In the first four verses of this chapter, well, let me say in the whole chapter, we see Abraham, I believe, dealing with this conflict very well. I think you see Abram being kind of the cooler head here. You see him leading. You see him doing some things that we should be doing in the middle of conflict. But it might not have been so had the first four verses of this chapter not been the way that they are. Abraham had gone and had wandered away from God, but when he returns and he comes back to Bethel, he builds that altar. And at the beginning of this story, you see him returning to the Lord, walking with the Lord, in fellowship with the Lord. He's living in communion with God. We don't always choose conflict, and we don't always see it coming, do we? And so the very first thing that we can try to control before conflict ever erupts is that we are walking with the Lord. You see, the problem is often conflict catches us off guard when we are far from the Lord, and because we are not walking in the Spirit, but instead we are walking in the flesh, we react in the flesh. You know? The best way that we can walk with the Lord is just day by day surrendering to him. In Luke 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, if we're dying to self every day, it's less likely that our pride's going to be bruised because we're going to see ourselves in the light of the Savior who we're dying to every single day. We're living for him, dying to our sin, living for him every single day. We begin to see things from the Lord's perspective. And if we are not walking in the flesh, we are walking in the spirit. Do you remember what the spirit produces in us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. What tools to have? If we're going to be in the middle of conflict, wouldn't it be, don't you think that if we're, if we're walking in a place where we already have self-control, we're going to experience conflict under control because the Holy Spirit is actively involved in our life, allowing us the ability of self-control. Well, what's going to happen if we're walking with the Lord and, and we're, the Holy Spirit is producing in us kindness? Don't you think that will affect? In fact, it might even, not even affect how we deal with conflict. It might avert certain conflict in our life. It might keep us from finding ourselves in the middle of conflict because we're experiencing this love and this peace and this patience with other people, the same that he has experienced with us, that he has done with us. I will tell you that as I was studying and thinking about this particular point, there was a particular instance that came to mind where someone approached me off guard. I didn't know that they were coming. They didn't set up an appointment to talk to me. They caught me off guard. And they told me, they began to tell me everything that I was doing wrong. And how, you, know, you know those kind of conversations. All the things I was doing wrong and all the, all the ways that I had, I had been wrong to them and to other people. Now, I will say that when that conversation happened, 
and I still, after having examined myself and examined, I, I don't think that they had all the facts and they were not right with the things that they were bringing me. I don't know that I was in the wrong with what they were talking about. But when they brought all that stuff to me and I vomited back at them, I was in the wrong. The, right in that moment, all the gripe that they had was its own thing. But in that moment, I was wrong. I, I reacted in a sinful way to that situation. And then you know what that causes you to do? Well, why did I react that way? Well, then you have to walk back and you have to see what, what's going on with me spiritually. And the, and the only thing that I can, the only thing you can say is, is that in that moment, that person caught me and I didn't react in the spirit. I reacted in the flesh. If I had been walking in the spirit, I would have reacted in a spiritual way. But I didn't. I reacted just like David Brown would react. So the one thing that we can control is before conflict ever comes, we live in communion with the Lord and we make sure that we're walking with him every day dying to self. The second thing that we can control that you see Abraham controlling in this story is we can maintain a pure witness. When we're in the middle of conflict, we can behave in such a way that we do not lose our witness with people that are unbelievers. At times, we're going to have conflict with people who are believers, but we're going to have conflict sometimes with people that are not believers. And the way that we respond to that conflict can make a great impression on them when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to point out for you in verse 7, there's an interesting phrase. I want us just to walk through a little bit. 7, follow my train of thought. Let's just think about as I'm studying this passage this week, one thing that I might do as I'm reading through the text is I, I want to note things that stand out to me. I want to note things, in this case, it's something that doesn't seem to belong, right? So I look at verse 7. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And you would think, like, then there's this next sentence, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, what's that got to do with anything, because it would seem like if you had the first part of seven, there was strife between Abram's herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen. Verse eight, so Lot said to, I mean, so Abram said to Lot, wouldn't that make logical sense? Why would you stick this information in there about Canaanites and Perizzites dwelling in the land? As I'm walking through that, I'm thinking about it. Two things that I would say about that sentence being there. It, it either connects to seven at six and seven, what's before it, or it connects to eight, what's after it. It's not just thrown in there arbitrarily, so why is it there? It could connect back to six and seven. It could connect back to, and it could only be there because Moses writing this for us is wanting us to understand that the resources, that this, this land is burdened not just by two big groups of people, Abraham and Lot. It could be that the resources of the land are burdened by four groups of people, Abram, Lot, Canaanites, Perizzites. There's, there's lots of people vying for the resources on this land, and so it, everything's, everything's kind of running short, running thin. It could be also, though, that's one way to look at that, but the other way that you might think about this is it connects to what he says in verse, uh, what he says in verse 8, what follows. When Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. It could be because... Abraham had seen what it was to ruin his witness in Egypt. He had lied to the Pharaoh and he had been unscrupulous over there and he had felt the shame of that in front of a pagan king. 
Now he's come back to Bethel. He's worshiping the Lord there. Every time he does that, he's making a statement to the pagan people around him about the one true God that he serves. And it could be that Abram is saying to Lot, Lot, the Canaanites and the Prizites are right over there, and they're watching how we're going to handle this. They're watching us. And in the middle of this, we don't need to dishonor the Lord. We're going to go about this in a way that's civil so that they watch us behave in a way that honors the one true God. This is a really important concept for us to understand. Listen to me. The way that you and, the way that you and I interact with people will either promote the Lord or it will disgrace his name. It will do one or the other. The way that we behave in conflict with other people will matter. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, Peter reminds us that we should keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He calls them Gentiles. He's speaking about those that are, that are not with God, right? Be careful about how you walk with those that are not walking with the Lord because it, is, it could be that the way you behave in front of them will draw them to Jesus and on the day of judgment, on that day of visitation, that he will not, they, they will be standing with the Lord. They will, they will have trusted in Jesus at that point because of what you have done. Think about that for just a moment. The way that we handle conflict, the way that we maintain a pure witness will speak to the world. That's what John, I mean, that's what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13. You're probably familiar with these verses too. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. And by this, by this love, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We can control our behavior in the midst of conflict. And we can be sure that even if you look in Scripture, what you see is God's people not being walked over. That's not what you see. What you do see happening in Scripture is, is you see examples of people who hold fast to their convictions but also maintain a pure witness in front of those who need to know. To stand on what we believe, not to stand on our opinion, not to stand on what we feel like we, we deserve based on our pride, but that we honor, we honor the Lord by seeking to maintain a pure witness with other people. The third thing that I think you control in this line of things, living communion with the Lord, maintain a pure witness, but the third thing that I think we control is we should focus on commonalities. You know, one of the things that our world and our culture has done to really train us is to help, the world wants us to focus on our differences. We're red, we're blue, we're black, we're white, we're Hispanic, we're Asian, we're whatever we are, right? You fall into these categories where you're, you're pro-life, pro-choice. You know what I'm saying? All these things that are out there, these, all these ways that we can divide ourselves, and we hear those terms and all that tribalism kind of talk all the time. And in conflict, it's very easy to focus on what we have, what, where we're opposed in our views. That's really easy to focus on. And sometimes, if you think about it for just a minute, the people that we have been in conflict, conflict with, it's really hard to see anything about them as a person other than this one issue where we disagree. This one thing. 
in this passage, Abraham wants to focus on the commonalities that are happening so that this conflict can be resolved. Look at verse 8 is where you find it. When Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Why? For we are kinsmen. This is bigger than the fight, Lot. We're not going to let this be the thing that drives a wedge between us. Abram immediately took it back to what they had in common. And he said, this commonality is going to be bigger than the things that are going to attempt to divide us. He went to that. You know, it's, it's very easy for, in, in fact, like when you read this passage and he says we are kinsmen, he, he says we shouldn't fight and argue because we're family. But let's be honest, a lot of us in the room as we think about conflict, do you know who we have conflict with? Do you think that is by design of the evil one? You know, my mom cuts hair. My mom has customers that, you know, she's like a, you know, a therapist. They come and sit in the chair, you know, and they talk, you know. And so my mom has talked about numerous times, we'll, get to, we'll be at my parents' house and we'll be eating. My brother's family will be there. We'll be there. My parents will be there. We'll be sitting around the table. We'll be laughing. We'll be having a good time doing whatever else. And my mom has on more than one occasion said this. She said, I really want to thank you guys for us being able to sit around this table and do this. I have lots of customers that their family would never be able to sit around the table like this and enjoy this time together. And I don't take it for granted, and I'm grateful for it. I believe she says that simply because she is. I don't think there's another motive there. With My mom is, she'll tell you what she thinks. She'll, I can hear what, but she's pretty much an open book. No, zero poker face on Kathy Brown. I believe that's exactly what, she's, what she means when she says that. But it's really tragic that there are so many families where that's the case. There's this commonality that we have where we should focus on those things rather than the things that divide us. You know, another place where you see lots of conflict is in, is in the church. And even though we're not blood by family, we have this union in Christ. You, you know, we may not say it very, very much anymore. We, we don't use that kind of language even around here at Center Grove. You know, talk about Brother Sammy, Brother Chris, you know, Sister Diana. You know, we don't say that all the time, but there, there's something in that, isn't there? We might even hear that and think that being old or even cultish, some people might say. But isn't there something in that where we're brothers and sisters in Christ and there's this union that we have? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul writes to the Philippians and says, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord, being of one mind. If there's any connection with the, with the, if the commonality of the Spirit is there between you, if there's any union in Christ, please be of one mind and keep division from your midst. Ephesians 4 and verse 3, he tells us that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When it comes to those that we're close to, we should be focusing on the commonalities that we have It'll help us to humanize. It will help us to sympathize. It will help us when we focus on the commonalities that we have. And that's one thing that we can control is where we, what we focus on. Because so many times we want to focus on the thing that that person did. 
And you know what we're not focusing on? Who that person is. And that's really big. It's really big. Live in communion with the Lord, maintain a pure witness, focus on commonalities. Fourth thing in this list is consider the interests of others. Consider the interests of others. When we're in the middle of conflict, the reason that we try to control all those things is you know who we're looking out for? But isn't it interesting what Abram does in this particular passage? He actually does something very, very uncommon. Some of you, if I'm reading this, this, this chapter to you, um, some of you, it could be possible that the last time you encountered this chapter was as a child in Sunday school where, where you get this story, right? It's presented that Abraham chose the good land. We've heard this, right? And he left Abraham all this stinky land. You know, it really wasn't the case as, as much as we hear. You know, in Sunday school, you imagine this place where Abraham went, had cactus and sand and bull skulls, you know, laying out there. And, and that's not necessarily the case. But when you, when you think about what happened here, Abram did something pretty amazing. They did not remain together. They did not remain together. They did not remain best friends. And did you know that sometimes in the middle of conflict, you may not end up being that person's best friend when the conflict is over with. There may be things that you still disagree on. But Abram does something here that's really interesting. He says, starting in that verse 9 and down through, I guess, about verse 13 is probably where it kind of is where I have noted that all these things happen. But, you know, he, he, he leaves the choice to Lot. Did you know that for Abram to do that, Abram was the senior member of that family. He was the patriarch of that family. Lot was really under his leadership. It, we would say that Abram would have been well within his rights to tell Lot where to go. And Lot should have gone there. That would have been well within Abraham's right. But Abraham set his right aside in order to consider the interests of Lot. Here's what we do. We get into an argument with somebody and we think about what they've done to us and we say things like, it's just not right. And after they did that, I feel like I have the right to, don't we? We, we like to justify our actions in the middle of conflict by by believing that we have some kind of rights in this situation and they have violated my rights. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, hopefully you would understand that you don't have any rights apart from what the Lord gives you. And if the Lord has given them, the Lord can defend them and, and fight for them on your behalf without you having to do anything. But you know what else is amazing to me about this? Abram set aside his rights. Abraham would have been right to say, Lot, you go there. I'm going here. But he set aside his rights and he considered Lot. Do you know what that sounds a lot like to me? We had broken the laws of the cosmic God. And he has every single right to punish us. The wages of sin is death and every single one of us deserve a devil's hell. 
It is his right to send us there because of our rebellion. But he set aside his rights. And he came clothed in human flesh and lived among us and hung on a tree for me and you. He was buried in the ground and he rose on the third day and he has made a way for us not only to be right with God through his death on the cross, but he has made a way for us to be with him through all eternity through his resurrection. He set aside his rights and he got on the cross. And while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. He considered your interest. And he still remains a God of justice. The wages of sin is still death. He, he still was just in that. He still punished every one of our sins. You just don't have to bear the weight of it because Jesus did at the cross. It's exactly what he did for us. That's why Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And at this point, it seems like he's just giving us moral instruction. Look at what he says, though. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, all those things that I said in verses 3 and 4, do them, not because they're just good to do, not even just because they're the right thing to do. You do them because that's the same mind. That's, it's Christ-like to do those things. When we're in the middle of conflict, instead of considering our rights, and consider, instead of considering what should come to us, recognize that God can defend those rights. Be willing to set aside those rights. I'm not saying, uh, I'm not talking about compromising on something of Scripture. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm saying in, in, instead of being so dogmatic about us getting what we deserve, consider how he went to the cross for us and have that same mind that was in Christ Jesus. The final thing on this list kind of takes us back full circle. Live in communion with the Lord, maintain a pure witness and focus on commonalities, consider the interests of others. Finally, remain in communion with the Lord. Find contentment. In the Lord. It's, if we're living in communion with the Lord, we're going to find our contentment in Him. We're, we're going to rest in that place. If you think about this as an order, at the beginning, you're in communion with the Lord. And I believe that if you do those three things that are in the middle, do you know how you'll come out of that conflict? Finding contentment in God alone because you're, you're in him. You're in communion with him. You're walking with him. You're, you're with him. You're, you're, you're filled with the Spirit. And however that conflict comes out, however it is resolved, you won't have to be mad and cross your arms and stomp the ground. Because where's your contentment? Lot chose the good side. I, I wanted that side. Like chips in the bowl to Mexican restaurant, you know? <laughs> I was fixing to get that one. There's perfect shape. He didn't whine about not having that thing because his contentment was not in that tortilla chip. His contentment was not in which side of the land Lot chose. His contentment was in the Lord. At the beginning of this passage, remember he's worshiping at Bethel. Do you remember that? In the first three verses, he's worshiping at Bethel. And Bethel means house of God. Remember that? He found himself in the beginning of the story in the house of God. It says in the very last verse that we're reading in this passage today, verse 18, that he ended up at Hebron. Hebron means communion. 
He, he went from the house of God through this conflict. And you know where he ended? In communion with the Lord. And that's no small feat. It's no small feat to go to enter into conflict and then remain with the Lord through it. But it is possible. Abram does that. He shows us that that is the case. You know, this series is all about learning to, to trust God. And conflict is a great opportunity to do that, isn't it? Because conflict presents us with so many things that are not in our control. And when conflict comes our way, it's a great time to learn to trust God because what we're able to do is we're able to say, God, there's so many of these things out there that I can't control. So God, it's all you. But God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus on what I can control. And God, I'm going to walk with you. And God, I'm going to make sure that when other people see how I'm behaving, that it's going to represent you well, right? I'm going to focus on them. I'm going to recognize that you have created them. They are made in your image. I'm going to recognize that they are not my enemy. My enemy is not flesh and blood. They're the ones that I've been called to reach with the gospel. And so I'm going to focus on our commonalities, and I'm going to, I'm going to remain close with them. I'm going to not let these small things divide friends, the story at the beginning of this message, family, churches. I'm not going to let it divide us. We're going, to, we're going to be together on this. I'm going to consider them first. And Lord, when it comes out on the other side, I, w- I want to still be walking with you. I want to represent you through this whole thing well. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.